USA is in a crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people trying to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn UN. Taking your right to self defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Not turn in the guns. All the unions always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you, as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming up from historic Roan County, Tennessee. And, uh, of course, uh, in the event that you are not listening live, which is very likely, uh, since I know the overwhelming majority of you find folks typically do listen either via podcast on the multitude of platforms uh, that carry the show or you may be listening via terrestrial radio uh, among the radio stations that rebroadcast this show uh, thankfully stations like KYAH 540 AM Utah's Talk Authority or stations like WCET Columbia's Talk uh, well, if you're listening in one of those locations thank you so very much and for your benefit just in case you weren't aware at the time of the live broadcast is february 15th it's 2021 it is a monday night not a, the usual sunday uh, i had tried to to do stuff sunday and had kept trying to do stuff sunday and eventually got frustrated and so here i am on monday night and we're going to see what we can do uh, as far as getting caught up with the uh, past uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, yeah, content. Content. I gotta get caught up with the uh, uh, all overdue content, uh, is really what it is. I do have obligations to get so much of this out there. 
And uh, that primary obligation is to you, the listener. So thank you very much for being here. Uh, a couple of quick hits before we dump, jump right in. want to make sure that, again, uh, in case you are just tuning in, time of the live broadcast was uh, February 15th. And the breaking news, the, probably the biggest news for conservatives looking for a social media outlet, this parlor is back. That's right. After spending weeks looking for a new client to host the website, the company's finally announced that uh, its new platform is up, that it's built on a robust, sustainable, independent technology, and it's available immediately for current users and will be available for new users to start signing up uh, next week. So if you are thinking about making the jump over to Parlor and hadn't done it yet, you can begin doing that next week. If you were already there but haven't heard the news yet, get signed in, uh, get hooked back up and find out what you've been missing because Parlor is back, baby. Okay, also uh, published today over at the Reactionary Times. Uh, thank you, Mr. Julio Rivera, a.k.a. the Conservarican. Uh, <laughs> he's the uh, editing uh, the chief editor over there. Um, uh, My most recent byline, uh, aptly titled, Stop Wasting Money on the F-35. It's not the first time I've written about the F-35 and the failures of this program, but it seems a good time to remind everyone of its shortcomings, especially since it seems like, much to my surprise, uh, Operation P-Pads and E-Pads, uh, you probably know them better as the Biden administration, actually look like they may be trying to do some reforms in that part of the federal government spending. Uh, if that turns out to be the case, as I point out in the piece, hey, maybe they'll at least possibly just by accident, but uh, maybe they'll get it right this time. And if that's the case, kudos. We'll be keeping a further eye on that. I will put a link in the show description to the article over at the Reactionary Times, so uh, please do me a favor, uh, follow that link and check it out, give it a read. It's about a three-minute read uh, with uh, supporting links to the informational part. All right, now, where should we begin tonight? You know, there's a, a ton of things that we should talk about. I'm going to try to get to all of them. But you know where I have to start? I, I mentioned and I shared not too long ago information that was written up by my good friend, uh, Mr. Ken Crow. Uh, he, of course, is currently the proprietor of the Conservative Daily Briefing. Uh, you can check that out at conservativedailybriefing.com. Uh, I am a contributor to the writing over there, although I don't do it nearly often enough. And I usually get a good what's for from Ken when we talk about it. He'll tell me I need to be sending more stuff his way. And uh, he's right. I do. And <laughs> I hope to be able to make enough time to do exactly that. I'm going to be rebalancing the schedule here soon and see if I can't make more time for exactly that. But uh, he made a, a major proclamation in, in an upcoming point, and he's been desperately trying to get this information out. And I mentioned it briefly in passing because I had other stories that were uh, timely, uh, 
and I thought there would be enough time to come back to this. And quite honestly, it's getting way too important to push back. So I'm going to take a little bit from his article and give you the most important aspects here. Uh, and, and that's primarily the fact that currently a whole brand new push on gun control is going to be rammed down our throats. Now, for those of you that are regular listeners and you've heard the bumper rotation and often have heard the outro song that I tried to play uh, as often as possible, usually it comes at the full end of the daily broadcast. So if you're listening to the rebroadcast on Terrestrial Radio Station, you may not hear it at the end of every show. Uh, but uh, if you listen to the podcast, you will hear it at the end of every broadcast. And that's because gun control is using both hands. Uh, great little ditty uh, by a great historian and a great musician who happens to be a good friend of the show. Uh, please check out Matt Fitzgibbon's work over at PatriotMusic.com if you get the chance. And if you don't get the chance, then make the time to go do it because it's well worth your while. And if you decide to make a purchase while you're there, go ahead and let him know that I sent you. Uh, it, it won't get you a discount. I just like him to know I'm still sending people his way as much as anything. But uh, Matt Fitzgibbon hits the nail on the head. Gun control is <laughs> just that, controlling your weapon. What the Democrats want to do, what the globalist leftist elitists want to do is disarm the citizenry. There's no doubt about it. So we have the recent anniversary, which, of course, you never let a good crisis go to waste, right? That That is the battle cry. But the, uh, the recent anniversary of a certain shooting event in Broward County, Florida, that created such multimedia stars as David Hogg, who is now a pillow mogul, evidently. Uh, and at some point, we may delve down that. It, I don't deem it important enough to spend much time, if any, but I will mention it in passing. Well, the point is, uh, this anniversary just passed, so over the weekend, we finally got... Mr. Operation Peapads himself, uh, the current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, Mr. Uh, creepy, handy-grabby Uncle Joe Biden, uh, barely there Beijing Biden for some of you. And uh, he finally came out and said himself in his own words that it's time for Congress to work on the gun control. But let's let's go in order. Shall we? Let, let's go back, uh, starting with some from the piece from Ken's writing. Uh, of course, he went into uh, sorted out. Uh, let, let's let's just start out in the first program. It starts out talking about how uh, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, uh, Rand Paul, uh, a lot of folks currently in the Republican Party, try to warn America about the downside of electing Joe Biden. Uh, a lot of folks right now out here will say things like, he's not my president. We we hear that quite often. In fact, I, I very rarely refer to him as the president, and often if I do, it's because I've done so without thinking while I'm reading a direct quote from something. Uh, <laughs> calling him the resident of the White House is about as close as it's going to get of my own accord. Uh, 
bottom line is a lot of those folks, uh, they may very well have a very valid point. However, before anything gets settled there, that's going to be a question for courts, forensic computer experts, uh, a busload of witnesses. All these things will have to decide the election's ultimate results. Now, this is his writing. Unfortunately, now, all that's a moot point. We can eventually discover that many of us who are suspicious that things did not exactly play out on the up and up may turn out to be right. But it's not going to change uh, what has occurred since the swearing in and the beginning of Operation P-Pads and E-Pads. The regime is in place now. Uh, there's not going to be any going back and fixing that. It's that time that window is closed now the only thing we can do is continue to fight the good fight to try and make sure that this type of shenanigan doesn't play out again in the future which is hopefully something that nearly all americans would prefer to see Uh, much better to end with a legitimate elector victor uh, that we don't like than to be forced to accept someone that didn't actually win. So we continue to fight that fight. We we do go to the courts. We do the things that need to be done. And that is a valid point as well. Uh, Ken points out, saying, However, as it stands at this moment in time, he is recognized as the president. And he has a Senate that the Democrats can control with Kamala Harris being the deciding vote. And he has Nancy Pelosi and her band of radical leftists in the Congress, which brings us to today. Now, since the complicit mainstream legacy media will not print or report on anything controversial or inflammatory regarding the current administration. The following has all but been brushed under the rug. Houston Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee has introduced House Bill H.R. 127. Now, she introduced it And now it's available for Nancy Pelosi to to take up debate in Congress. Now, in case you haven't heard, if you're not familiar, or if it doesn't ring a bell by its name, which I I have to tell you, earlier today had a uh, brief conversation with Ken Crow uh, on the phone, and he asked me specifically by name, and said I I wasn't certain, because again, I didn't have the, the number recognized myself, but I was familiar with it. I'd already been looking at this. H.R. 127 is a bill that is a gun control bill that would radically alter the Second Amendment forever. Just a few of the highlights that Ken lists here in his article. And, of course, I'm going to include a link into today's show description as well that will allow you the opportunity to go read it for yourself if you have not. But some of the highlights that was included in this bill that was introduced on January 4th of 2021, one of these, in general, the Attorney General 
through the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives shall establish a system for licensing the possession of firearms or ammunition in the United States and for the registration with the Bureau of each firearm present in the United States. Now, I, I'm going to let that sink in a second. I, I'm I'm going to pause briefly. The Attorney General, through the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, that's the ATF, guys, shall establish a system for licensing the possession of firearms or ammunition and for the registration with the Bureau for each firearm present seriously does this sound like something that flies under the uh, the terms of the second amendment well watch closely because they want you to to look in really close at the left hand while they're doing the flare and uh, the hand movement and gestures while the trick is actually happening over in the right hand they want to create a firearm registry system under this bill. Required information under this registration. Under the firearm registration system, the owner of a firearm shall transmit to the Bureau A, the make, model, and serial number of the firearm, the identity of the owner of the firearm, the date the firearm was acquired by the owner, and where the firearm or will <laughs> where it is or will be stored. And part B of this section, a notice specifying the identity of any person to whom and any period of time during which the firearm will be loaned to the person. Deadline for supplying information. The, the transmission required by paragraph one shall be made in the case of a firearm acquired before the effective date of this section within three months after the effective date of this section. So you got three months at the most. The creation of a database is going to be required here. In general, the Attorney General shall establish and maintain a database of all firearms registered pursuant to the subsection. The Attorney General shall make the contents of this database acceptable to all members of the public, all federal, state, and local law enforcement authorities, all branches of the United States Armed Forces, and all state and local governments as defined by the Bureau. So they're, they're making a list. They're, they're checking it twice. And they're going to tell everybody who's been naughty and nice. I, I understand why the government might feel that it serves their interest to have access to this information. But I have yet to understand why it is that they seem to think that this database should be accessible to the public. What is the purpose of that? What is the purpose? Uh, you're literally going to be putting up the full broadcast level for anybody clever enough to use this database and to access it, uh, literally, where the no-gun zones are. 
One of the major deterrents in communities where there was a high per capita gun ownership, one of the main reasons you don't see as much violence involved with guns, the reason you don't see as much violent crimes of any kind in communities that have high per capita legal gun ownership is the fact that you don't know who's carrying and who's not. You don't know if you break into that house, if you're walking out of your own power, or if you're being rolled out on a stretcher. By not knowing those things, it's amazing what a deterrence that can be. But as soon as the people who want to do bad things have access to that information, you don't think that's going to create issues in those unofficial gun-free zones? Now, clearly, the real reason, uh, because they don't think anyone's going to be criminal, right? Uh, The real reason is they want to virtue signal, and they want the cancel culture crowd to go after and gun shame uh, who has them. Clearly, that's part of the plan. Now, some of the... uh, issues here in order to qualify for the general license also part of this bill except as otherwise provided in this subsection the attorney general shall issue to an individual a license to possess a firearm and ammunition if the individual has attained 21 years of age That's just the first part. There's a lot more. After applying for the license, that 21-year-old or older undergoes a criminal background check conducted by the National Instant Criminal Background Check System established under Section 103 of the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act. And the check does not indicate that possession of a firearm by the individual would violate Section G or Section N of Section 922 or any state law. Second part here, the same individual must also undergo a psychological evaluation conducted in accordance with Paragraph 2 and the Evaluation does not indicate that the individual is psychologically unsuited to possess a firearm. Uh, By the way, it's going to be up to you to pay for these psychological evaluations. And the devil being in the detail, as it always is, there's only going to be certain approved individuals that are going to be allowed to render these psychological evaluations. In other words, you can't just get any psychiatrist or psychologist. Nobody uh, being licensed to perform this task, it's not going to be sufficient. Only an approved list. And what do you want to bet, boys and girls, that in order to get on that approved list, that you're going to have to be, I don't know, say possibly just a little biased against individual gun ownership? I'm just, I I know, ridiculous of me to say so, right? Asinine that I would suggest that 
politics could play a role in whether or not the government's going to let you perform a job for them, right? Uh, I mean, clearly, clearly. I'm. What do you want to bet? What do you want to bet these psychological evaluations are priced through the roof? Because it's not going to be the same as just a regular psychological evaluation. And I guarantee you, it will not be uh, allowed by law to be covered by insurance. I guarantee you that that will also be something that, while it may not be 100% clear in the details now, watch for it. Watch for it. Now, after you've attained the age of 21 and after you've uh, made sure that you went uh, through the background check, and now you've had your psychological evaluation, and everything's still good. Well, guess what? Now you've got to successfully complete a training course certified by the Attorney General in the Use, Safety, and Storage of Firearms that includes at least 24 hours of training and demonstrates that on issuance of said license, the individual will have, in effect, an insurance policy issued under Subsection D, uh, meaning that now that you went and self got yourself licensed, you're also going to have to carry a special insurance policy, you know, just in case you went through all those hoops and they still haven't dissuaded you with the overall expense of gun ownership yet. Because that's what this is about. It's about trying to change your behavior by making it too difficult and too expensive to hone a gun. That's that's the plan. That's the idea. Don't doubt it for a second. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many things involved here that require an expense, an expense that's going to have to come out of your pocket. A God-given, constitutionally protected right to own and bear firearms is now going to be legislated away through backdoor techniques. Because they're going to be able to say, now, nowhere in the law does it say you can't have a gun. We're not really impeding your right to own the gun. We're just instituting some common sense reforms. I mean, can you just hear Beto right now? Robert Francis O'Rourke wants to be called Beto. Is supposed to be Biden's guy on this, right? Now, clearly, the way this is written, that's over Robert Francis's head. But it's part of the same ideas and the same talking points that we've been hearing for a while from these folks. How can we get around the Second Amendment? I mean, for a while, they were just downright saying, okay, we just need to amend it. We just need to amend it. But now they pretend like the Constitution's meaningless unless it's serving their political purpose. Uh, again, uh, I have not heard so many Democrats talk about their constitutional responsibilities so much as I have in the last few weeks. Mostly because they get an opportunity to grandstand, virtue signal, and try to pretend like anybody that's ever had an R at the end of their name or anybody that's ever mentioned a conservative viewpoint or a libertarian viewpoint, well, you're all evil domestic terrorists. Now, it's not the first time we've heard them say that. But they're getting an awful lot of traction this go-around. So again, the riot at the Capitol 
is going a long way towards fueling what they believe to be the energy needed to make this happen. Some of the penalties involved here. Section 924A of such title is amended by adding at the end of the following. Yeah, I know. This makes for great radio, doesn't it? But this is too important for you not to know it's there. These are the important parts. And I beg you, I beg you to go read the rest of it for yourself. It's not a great read. And it's downright scary when you see everything in here. But you need to know when you need to arm yourself with the facts of what's going on here. So again, let me hit a few more of these points that are vital for you to know and understand. Whoever knowingly violates section 922 AA shall be fined not less than $75,000 and not more than $150,000. Imprisoned not less than 15 years and not more than 25 years or both. I, I paused intentionally. I, I want that to sink in too. A minimum of $75,000 or 15 years in federal prison. That's your minimum. You might get hit with both those. Or if they really want to make a, an example out of you, let's say you're some wise apple on a radio show, they may go ahead and hit you with the full $150,000 fine along with 25 years in federal prison. Why? For knowingly violating their unconstitutional edict. Should this pass? And, and I pray, I pray that true common sense wins the day here. Because when a Democrat says common sense, uh, what they really mean, what they really mean when they say common sense, is that it's something that they have absolutely no proof would be true. They have no evidence to back up that position. But because they think it's the case, or they think that they can convince you that you might think that it's the case, that you should just do it anyway. Don't think about it too long. If it's common sense, what is there to think about? Trust me, when politicians start talking about common sense reforms of any kind, you best start paying real close attention to what they're really saying and do some research on what the results may actually be. And I'm promising you, currently in American uh, history, the context with everything they're trying to push right now, there is plenty, plenty of historical evidence that would indicate whether or not what they're trying to do will actually solve the problems they claim to be working on or exacerbate the problems they claim to be trying to help. <sighs> Whoever knowingly violates Section 922 shall be fined not less than $30,000 and not more than 50000 Imprisoned not less than five years and not more than ten years or both. Whoever knowingly violates Section 209 BB3, okay, so now we have BB2, now BB3, shall be fined not less than, uh, are you getting the point? There's fines, and I guarantee you, if they charge you with one of these, they're going to most likely charge you with multiples. So it's entirely possible that you're going to get the maximums of both and then 
you're you're going to hit the maximum with section 922A, then you're going to get hit with the maximums of section 922BB1, and then BB2, and then BB3. And guess what? There's a BB4, because whoever knowingly violates section 922BB4 shall be fined not less than $75,000 and not more than $100,000. Imprisonment, not less, yes, blah, blah, blah. There's also a section 922CC, where if you knowingly violate it, you'll be fined not less than $50,000. Uh, this is this is just a little bit of what's in this bill. Just a tiny bit. A small, minuscule, nothing part of the bill. And ordinarily, you would expect something like this to be exposed. In fact, uh, the truth of the matter is that the legacy media, at least some of the more center or slightly right of center uh, outlets, should be screaming from the high heavens. But we're not hearing much about it. Is Is it because we're underestimating this? Is it because we think the Democrats aren't prepared to wield their newfound power and the fact that there doesn't seem to be anybody willing to push back against them, including our judicial system right now? Which, you know, uh, one judge will make a decision here that actually is in standing with current federal law or the Constitution, and then they'll go find another judge that'll uh, just completely go the other direction. Sometimes it's because you've got an activist wearing the robe. Sometimes it's because some of these people, they too are afraid of being canceled. Joe Biden, Mr. Operation Peapat, Mr. Barely There, Beijing Biden, he is now calling on Congress to clamp down on Americans' constitutionally protected, God-given rights. Listed specifically in the Second Amendment, the second section of the first ten amendments, better known as the Bill of Rights. This past Sunday, he demanded, demanded gun bans and new laws that will allow people to sue gun manufacturers. So here's another outlet for which they will work in. They want to protect. There is literally no other no other grounds, no other section of our retail economy, no other industry where a manufacturer is held to the same standard of liabilities what they want to establish here. If you manufacture, I don't know, what's, what's a good thing to Let's say that you manufacture axe handles. Okay? Now, you make the strongest, toughest axe handle out there. You, you don't actually make the, the blades. Somebody else makes the blade. Maybe you're involved with putting it together. Maybe whoever makes the blade is, and they just buy the handles from you, whatever. But let's just say you manufacture that axe handle. Now, if some lumberjack goes out and uses that axe to cut down a tree, 
and that tree falls somewhere that it shouldn't and some property damage occurs, who's held liable under our legal system? If you said the lumberjack, you're correct. If you said the manufacturer of the axe handle, eh, you're wrong. That's that's not the case. Nor should it be. Because nowhere, nowhere uh, in the decision to choose to wrongly utilize this tool as it's intended to be used, but in a fashion that is not in congruence with your personal responsibility in the use of said tool, is a manufacturer to be held liable. Now, by the very same token, let's make it uh, take it a step further. Let's say you're not a lumberjack, but you've got this axe, and then somebody uh, comes along and they make you angry, and you decide that you're going to start screaming uh, uh, something orange man bad and then start hacking away at somebody because uh, you haven't been able to work out your frustrations, and you always wanted to join Antifa. And you got kind of the wrong idea of how Antifa takes care of things and just went wild with it. Again, is that the axe handle manufacturer that it should be held responsible for that? No, 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 because they didn't use the axe appropriately. And that's the other side of uh, the protections that are granted manufacturers. You establish a specific purpose and a specific use. And if somebody uses your product outside of the bounds of what its intended use is, you're not responsible for that action. Especially if it's something that's not reasonably foreseeable that somebody would use it in that uh, in that format. Are you going to use this in that manner? Oh, well, I hope not. We say, do not swing axes at people. <laughs> You can put all the legal disclaimers on there that you want to, just as extra insurance, but you're not held accountable. Nowhere, nowhere does a gun manufacturer say, uh, uh, yeah, by the way, we want you to randomly go murder people. No, they tell you very specifically what the purpose is. They tell you very specifically what the use is. And as they go about doing that, they have been offered protections when individuals use firearms in an illicit, unlawful way. It's the individual, once again, who's responsible, not the manufacturer. Well, is it reasonable? Is it reasonably foreseeable that someone might use this in that fashion? It was never the intention. And beyond that, there is a constitutional right for someone to have and to carry on their person a firearm and up until the point that an individual becomes a convicted felon and loses several of their constitutional rights as a result of that there is by the wording of the constitution there is no law that should be ever allowed to stand that can impede that this is a major impediment oh but it doesn't matter Barely there, Beijing Biden wants to put illegal migrants first, and he wants to put China first, and he has no idea, no clue how to put an American citizen first, even if you're an American citizen that happens to be a member of a union that helped get his party back into a position of power. That doesn't matter. Your jobs must also be sacrificed in the name of the great green gobbledygook.
his exact words, in case you doubt me, in case you missed it. I'm calling on Congress to enact common sense gun law reforms. Again, remember what I told you about when a Democrat says common sense reforms? I'm calling on Congress to enact common sense gun law reforms, including requiring background checks on all gun sales. Not not just some, not just most, not just gun sales at a legal retail shop, but also personal, person-to-person sales. If I'm selling uh, a small firearm that... I've grown weary of, or if I just need cash, and I'm selling one to my cousin who's willing to pay me uh, a few bucks more than it's actually worth, and he understands that he's really just kind of helping me out more than anything, and I'll probably be able to buy it back from him later if, uh, uh, if I wanted to and if my financial situation gets better. So that's the scenario. Now, Currently, a person-to-person direct sale like that, there's no reason for anyone to be involved. The government has no legal right to be made aware of that. Under the laws, even though some states have tried to enact, so depending on where you're at, there may be some jurisdictions that expect you to fill them in. But constitutionally speaking, none of your business. In fact, I would be willing to argue that truthfully the laws put in place to monitor the retail sales are an impediment to your constitutionally protected God-given right. But, be that as it may, they want the background checks on all gun sales. He wants to ban assault weapons. And here, as as you know, and as I have been telling you, you've heard from other sources, their idea of an assault weapon is probably anything that is either semi-automatic or has a magazine with a capacity of more than five. If you can get more than five rounds in your magazine, that's an assault weapon. Even if you can only <laughs> single bolt action fire or whatever uh and it's very rare but there are a few rifles that actually operate on small magazine but you still have to clear your chambers manually manually and and all that good stuff anyway so we've got the background check on all sales we've got the banning of assault weapons oh and high capacity magazines Now, again, I'm pretty sure they're going to define high capacity uh, at a much lower number than an actual gun owner probably would. I'm guessing, based on what they've done in the past. Now, remember, he was very vague here. I would imagine that as they push their agenda, anything over eight rounds is going to be considered high capacity. That's just based on things they've said in the past. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't try to push it on down to five if they think they can... Make hay with it. So again, let me start over because you know I kind of lost it because I'm supposed to be quoting him here. 
and again, he's driving me nuts with this, but the quote is, I'm calling on Congress to enact common sense gun law reforms, including requiring background checks on all gun sales, banning assault weapons and high capacity magazines, and eliminating immunity for gun manufacturers who knowingly put weapons of war on our streets. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't own any weapons of war. I do have some firearms. I am going to have some serious, serious soul-searching to have to contemplate if they move forward with this, because I am the the person responsible in my home for a great many things. But one of those things is to teach valuable lessons about principles and standing up for what's right and try to instill a love of the Constitution and a love of individual liberty in my children. And I know that that makes me dangerous, right? I'm a right-wing extremist uh, in the minds of many left-leaning folks out there. I'm quite certain, quite certain that I am a domestic terrorist just by virtue of invoking the Constitution. That's enough to do it in the minds of some of these folks. And I'm a religious zealot when I keep referring to the fact that these are God-given, constitutionally protected rights. These rights are are put out there, uh, specifically enumerated in the Constitution, not because the Constitution is granting them, not because the government is granting them, but because they are God-given. And by virtue of being enumerated in the Constitution, we expect our government to protect them, not to try to limit them or eliminate them. Something that the Democratic Party in particular, uh, although it's not exclusive to Democrats, any so-called progressive any globalist elitist, they don't understand that that's the purpose of this government, although they have understood for a while that when the government works in that purpose, it stands as an impediment to their goals. In this statement, Biden calls for banning assault weapons. Like I said, that's probably any semi-automatic firearm because it, this is based on how they've talked before and things that they have mentioned if it's scary looking or if you can shoot more than three rounds in less than three seconds ooh, why do you need to be able to do that scary But, you know, there's no language included in his statement about allowing gun owners who currently own those weapons to be able to keep those weapons. And if gun owners are not allowed to keep those specific semi-automatic firearms under a Biden ban, well, that effectively would amount to a brand new, uh, first time ever in the United States of America, a mandatory gun confiscation program. You know, something similar happened several years ago when the Trump administration banned bump stocks following the October 1st, 2017 Las Vegas shooting. I wasn't a fan of that at the time. In fact, I called it out as a a bad Trump moment. 
But in truth, not a lot of gun owners got all that upset about it because very few people were capable of using the bump stock in an effective method that actually emulated and allowed use what it's intended. A lot of people would try it, and they were inconsistent at best. So not a lot of people got all up at arms, and it is kind of like cheating. But in truth, it still was not a good look for the Trump administration, I don't believe. The important thing to remember here is that Biden's call on Congress to try to enact this legislation would strip gun manufacturers of their immunity from lawsuits who knowingly put weapons of war on our streets. That's basically, essentially, once again, a backdoor way of trying to bankrupt the gun industry. I want to try to force them to drastically change the types of weapons that they're willing to sell. Uh, do what we want and we'll let you stay. But eventually they want to get rid of all these weapons in the hands of private citizens. They don't think you can be trusted with it. Guns are bad for everyone. Walls don't work. Despite the fact that as soon as they want to virtue signal about how terrified they were at an armed insurrection. What's the first thing that happens? Walls go up and men with guns are asked to stand a post to protect their worthless hides. When gun control activists use the term weapons of war, they're generally using it and... They're saying it that way in an effort to kind of portray the, the weapons that they want to ban as weapons that are used in war. You know, if it's used by militaries. But you see, the thing is, it's a pretty inaccurate statement. If you want to talk real world, if you want to talk facts, which we know these folks have some real trouble with, but if if you do... It's a very inaccurate statement because the types of weapons that gun control activists are referring to, usually something like the vaunted AR-15-style rifles, well, they're not used in war. The variants of those rifles that are currently sold by gun manufacturers in the U.S. are semi-automatic firearms, not the fully automatic versions that are used by the military. So Biden's call on Congress to restrict America's constitutionally protected Second Amendment rights, once again calling, uh, it comes after his call for unity. The same unity that the left keeps calling for and then immediately starts trying to, to trash talk uh, any Trump supporter. To immediately start trash talking any conservative, any Christian, any white male because of privilege and clearly you're automatically racist by virtue of being white. Sorry, you can't help it. Don't try to convince us otherwise. Da, 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 I'm not listening. In their minds, unity only comes from submission to them. And they're going to expect a whole lot more submission if they come to believe that the populace has been disarmed. Don't believe me? Again, check out the historical references. Check out who these people's heroes are. 
by the best guess statistics, you can say roughly about one out of every three Americans owns a firearm. Nearly half of the country lives in a household where firearms are present. And there are more firearms than people in the United States. Gun sales smashed all-time records last year amid the pandemic and violent riots that broke out in U.S. cities, major U.S., formerly great American cities. Those cities where that was happening, by the way, largely run by Democrats and typically having fairly strict gun control laws, I, I, I might add. Nearly 5 million Americans bought a firearm for the very first time last year. If the ownership of firearms were the true problem, you would know about it well before now. That's not the problem. The problem is a government that doesn't seem to understand that you can't disarm the citizenry and expect crime not to rise, which is something we'll talk about as we continue. Um, We will continue an hour two in tonight's broadcast. And meanwhile, I I did not bother with that mid-hour break. I kind of went right through it. And while I still have time, I am now going to try and sneak in towards the end of this hour. The Edwards Notebook, Songs and Stories for Soldiers, a Veterans Tip of the Day, and the Dan Wass Second Amendment uh, public service announcement. You guys don't go anywhere. Uh, I'll be right back after just a few of these brief messages. Both Democrats and Wimpus Americanus Apologeticus Republicans have tried in vain to find numerous ways to blame President Trump for the orchestrated melee that occurred January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Anyone who checks for the truth knows that is not true at all. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, false media narratives and the vengeful leftists in government do not seek to impeach President Trump because he actually did anything illegal or encouraged others to conduct violent acts or invade the Capitol building? In my opinion, the reason for the second impeachment effort was to try and prevent President Trump from ever running for office again because he dared to carry out his campaign promises to govern on behalf of we the people and place U.S. interests above those of other nations, especially those that have embarked upon a mission to undermine our republic. President Trump infuriated those who, along with the United Nations, that have been trying to fundamentally transform the United States into a socialist-oriented lackey of the United Nations, China, and the Crescent Ones. Blowing away the myths and revealing the truth, I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Hello, this is Dan Perkins with your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. Did you know that the unemployment rate for homeless veterans was twice the national average? And without proper shoes, it's hard to get a job? Here's your Veterans Tip of the Day. People from all over the country helped us with our annual Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Shoes and Socks for Homeless Veterans. There was a time this summer where we believed that probably it wouldn't be successful because of the pandemic, but decided to go ahead and do it anyway. We reached out in the local 
local community and on the various radio shows that I'm on ask for their support. In a little over three weeks, we received 400 pairs of shoes and over 1,000 pairs of socks for homeless veterans so they can go out and look for a job and have a decent pair of shoes to wear. We had songs and stories for soldiers and all the 400 plus soldiers who will receive these shoes and socks say thank you for your generosity. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. It's not so unbelievable that governments would want to disarm their citizens, but that citizens would beg to be disarmed by their government is a much scarier thought. We've seen government control most recently in Venezuela where citizens are left to defend themselves against a violent government by throwing rocks because not too long ago they were disarmed by that very government under the guise of gun safety. Gun control laws like the ones in Venezuela are exactly what our political left in America would like to see here. As a mother, I am terrified. I have four children in our public school system, and if they knew that their teachers were potentially carrying a gun... They want to be disarmed by our government so badly that they protest in the streets, demanding that government take away their rights. All for that assault weapons ban, to keep these weapons of war out of the hands of civilians who do not need them. All for the prohibition of high-capacity magazines, because no hunter will ever need access to a magazine that can kill 17 in mere minutes. How does this happen? Well, it's complicated, but it starts with very powerful propaganda targeted at people who can't think. People who have been taught to believe that freedom is dangerous. People who can't think for themselves are targeted from many directions, schools, movies, news sources, and even their own friends and family. And once they're on board with the anti-gun fear campaign, they continue to perpetuate the irrational gun fear. Well, they have to justify their position, right? Also, yeah. don't need home protection. Um, oh. You don't. You don't need guns for home protection. You don't want to bring more guns into a situation. The answer to solving violence is not more violence. Gun fear is cultivated purely for the purpose of gun control support. But the people who spread it don't always know that they've been misled. They think they're doing a good thing. These same people are taught to hate gun owners. They're taught that gun owners are recklessly and intentionally putting everyone in danger. They're taught that gun owners are the enemy, and more government control will protect them from the enemy. Why does anybody need an assault rifle if they're not going to war? I don't think there's any reason to have 33 bullets in a killing machine that you can take into a place like a school. Watch these anti-gun activist groups in action, and you can't help but ask yourself if they have any clue what the real results would be if they were successful. So what's the real problem here? Is it really guns, or is this about something else? I mean, do guns cause violence? How do we let the gun grabbers hijack the conversation and direct the focus to firearms when we all know we really should be talking about what causes human violence? You see, if we were to look at what causes human violence in this country, we'd be forced to look at gang violence, open borders, sanctuary cities, rampant pharmaceutical drug use, and gun-free zones all things that the anti-gun political left supports. So to the anti-gunners, why in the world would you want your government to take away your rights? The Second Amendment is not a privilege, it's your right. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to LoadedMike.com. To check out my book series, go to GoodGunBadGuy.net. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to have to say goodbye to those of you that are listening on terrestrial radio as we have to break it up and reset the hour. So for those of you that I'm saying goodbye to right now, remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and more importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Meanwhile, stay safe. uh, Be careful out there. uh, Stay healthy. And uh, remember, be smart. Uh, For those of you that are uh, listening live or listening to the podcast, stay where you're at. Hour number two starts right after this. is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've gotta be free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn UN. Taking your right to self-defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn in the guns. Always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I'm your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, MTAP, coming to you from historic Roan County, Tennessee. And uh, this is the second hour of the live broadcast, which originally took place on February 15th of 2021. That's a Monday evening, not a usual broadcast time. Although, you know what, I I may be switching up the schedule soon. Uh, These Mondays may work better for me than the Sundays, for at least for the next little bit. Uh, We'll we'll see what happens. Anyway, if you are listening to the rebroadcast of this show on one of the many great radio stations across the country that 
rebroadcast the show, uh, maybe you didn't hear hour number one. Uh, so let me invite you to go visit uh, tapintothetruth.com and go over to the past broadcast page. And you can uh, go back and listen to the podcast right there. It's a quick and easy way to go. That's T-A-P-P intothetruth.com. Uh, but, you know, if you listen to podcasts at uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts or uh, Google Play or wherever you may be listening. Uh, you know, I think Alexa has the show now, and of course, there's Pod Addict and uh, just a ton of great locations. Well, the show's available. Just put it in your search bar. Have found that some uh, some of the uh, platforms actually have two versions of the show, and one hasn't updated in a very long time, which is very weird. Uh, so you may have to look for more than. Uh, just one outlet of show, especially if you haven't seen something that's relatively new. Uh, and you can always check the date. But at any rate, uh, go back and check out hour number one if you are so inclined. Spent a lot of time talking about this insanity of this bill that uh, Miss Jackson Lee uh, has introduced to the House that has ridiculous levels of gun control that will make it financially impossible for anyone to legally own a firearm should this be allowed to move forward, despite the fact that the law is completely unconstitutional. Therefore, there is nothing, at least if you fall in accordance with the Constitution, that would make gun ownership illegal. Nothing. Yeah, the only time that uh, you can be banned from uh, fully expressing your God-given constitutionally protected rights is when you have become a convicted felon and have these rights expunged from you. And then that's because, presumably, of uh, choices you made. I say presumably because clearly we do know that not everyone that goes to prison was guilty. And not everyone that's guilty goes to prison. So, you know, you, you can make the argument, however. Now, I ended up spending the biggest part of the hour talking about uh, Miss Jackson Lee's bill. And then Joe Biden's weekend speech. Make no mistake about it, boys and girls, they are coming for the guns. Robert Francis O'Rourke, a.k.a. Beto, he wants to personally head up the efforts to go and just take all your firearms from you. Between what's required to get a license and the required creation of the database, which would not only be available, not only be available to law enforcement and government types, but is also, according as currently written in the bill, would also be available to anyone in the public. That seems a little dangerous to me, boys and girls. Uh... I mean, I, I hate to sound like I, I'm suspicious of the potential bad intentions of some folks out there should they have access to who has guns and who doesn't. But yeah, I, I would imagine there'll be a lot of Americans having to make some very tough choices should this be allowed to pass. So for the love of all that's holy in heaven, Republicans stand together on this. And Democrats in moderate districts stand with those Republicans. Stop the uber-globalist leftist effort to disarm the citizens because it is not 
for the safety of the American citizen. It is not for the greater good. It is for them to be able to operate with impunity. Quite Tim, it sounds like you're suggesting that uh, they'd be concerned about the possibility of, I don't know, say an armed insurrection. Well, clearly they're concerned about the possibility of an armed insurrection when they want to look at a small riot where a few bad actors did some really stupid things and then a few other bad actors didn't really do things that were so gosh darn bad, but still messed up by virtue of taking, shall we call it, an unauthorized tour of the Capitol building. I mean, there is absolutely no room whatsoever for people going around screaming, uh, hang Mike Pence and looking to try to, to murder anyone that was inside the Capitol building. There is no excuse for attacking police officers uh, because they were standing in your way, doing their jobs. Now, I wish they would do their jobs in every city and, and duly arrest lawbreakers at all riots. The violence was a bad thing. The violence was a bad thing. I don't know how many times do we have to keep saying this, too. I don't know anybody that's okay with taking an act of violence uh, on into the... Uh, the Capitol building. But the point of the matter is, you got a lot of virtue signaling going on, and you got a lot of political grandstanding going on. And you got a lot of people whining and crying and trying to both use the optics of, well, we're in charge, we're in control, but also, we were so terrified because it was. Maybe you should be just a little bit afraid. Maybe you should be, because a lot of you have been completely ignoring the Constitution. A lot of you have been completely ignoring the needs or desires or even just communications from your actual in-district constituents. A lot of you have been ignoring the fact that your party wants to pursue goals and agendas that are destructive to this nation. The people in it be damned. Have you ever thought for a second that maybe you're on the wrong side? Well, clearly the answer is yes. The answer is they do. Some of them realize it. And some of them are very concerned that an actual armed insurrection might occur. Some of them may even be secretly hoping for it. Thinking that that'll be their excuse to, to, to topple those few remaining folks left in this nation that truly understand how liberty works and that there is an inherent expectation for liberty in this nation. So maybe you should be a little frightened. Not because there's some scary people that might do a bad thing, because whether you realize it or not, maybe it doesn't show up in your neighborhood all the time, but when you're walking around <laughs> almost anywhere in this country, that is always the possibility. There's always somebody looking for someone else to take advantage of. It's sad, but it's true. Maybe we should stop exaggerating about what occurred. And maybe we should get back to the business of doing the people's business. And you might, you just might be surprised about how little you'd have to worry about your personal safety if you just did your jobs and did it the way you're supposed to. With a reverence for freedom in your heart. With a reverence for the Constitution 
in your heart, with a reverence for this nation and the people that live in it in your heart. A true reverence, not just lip service and virtue signal. If you understood the founding of this country occurred in 1776, not 1619. If you understood that it is an America hate whore that wants to propagate that horrific, trashy propaganda. Maybe you got your head on straight and realized that this nation is a great nation, not because of its government, not because of the people who serve in this government, but because of her people, when her people are allowed to be free. And when we say that, we mean free from your entanglements. You are supposed to be an elected representative of us. You are not a leader. You are not a sovereign. You are not a sultan. You are a servant to the people. And the second you forget that, which most of you have, regardless of what letters at the end of your name, the second you forget that, the second you open yourself up to the need to be replaced or removed. And if you want to hide behind walls and behind people with guns, that doesn't make you look strong. That doesn't make you safe. That makes you intimately aware that you are the problem. Maybe it'd be easier to take you seriously if you hadn't spent so much time supporting, jetting up, inciting riots across the country in formerly great American cities like Seattle and Portland, Atlanta, Kenosha. You guys remember all that? Yeah. Well, that's not the same thing, Tim. It's not fair to make those comparisons. Yeah, yeah, I've heard you. And you're right. It's not fair to make those comparisons because in those comparisons, people like Kamala Harris literally did incite violence and declare that it needed to continue. Members of the squad specifically said that these riots should continue and until they know peace, there can be no peace. They're really great at bumper stickers. They don't seem to understand that they have meaning. Maxine Waters talking about how you need to get up in these people's spaces and let them know they're not wanted. But then also in the very same speech, you don't hear it played as often, talked about how they were going around and how they were kicking their butts. Now, that's actually a description of an act of violence. She did cross the line. And they did show support. They did want to help bail out criminals that were being arrested. So they had to turn right back around and get back out of the streets and do more criminality. You're the ones who haven't been acknowledging that there is a difference between a peaceful protest and a freaking riot. And now you can't seem to understand that there's a difference between a riot and an insurrection. There was no legitimate, real effort to overthrow the federal government. That simply didn't occur. It's an exaggeration. And it's an exaggeration that's wearing very thin with me. You keep using that language, and you can call it an act of evil if you want. Some people, uh, I believe, 
would have done harm to some of these uh, representatives if they had been able to get their hands on them. But it was very few, uh, even amongst those that broke into the building. But let me tell you this, leftist, liberal, whiny snowflakes. The more you try to hang those acts of bravado, because they certainly didn't equate to actions of anything of significance, the more you try to equate an insurrection with anybody that refused to vote uh, to convict Donald Trump in the Senate, the more you try to hang that around anybody that might support a Republican, the more you try to hang that around any conservative, any part of the 75 million plus people that voted for Trump in the election, anytime you want to try to continue to post that, to hang that albatross around your fellow neighbor, it doesn't help with unity. And it's rather short-sighted because the people that have been just kind of going along and supporting you guys for a while have already started waking up. And the more you keep going over the top with this business and start doing things that hurt the economy and hurt the American's ability to live a good and decent life, the more they're going to continue to wake up to your bovine excrement. How do I know this? Well, because people are seeing right through it. One of the latest uh, news things of the day. And again, I know if you're listening to the rebroadcast or if you're listening to the podcast a few days later, this isn't exactly breaking news by now. And a lot of people have been talking about this already. Usually I scoot away from or don't spend a whole lot of time talking about stories that are being well covered in other places. But this one is worth talking about. Fine folks of Minneapolis have discovered that if you defund the police... Crime goes up. Wow, who could have thought of such a thing would be possible? The Minneapolis City Council's mission to defund the police, well, I think it's fair to say that it's failed. In fact, it's failed spectacularly. I wonder who could have predicted that. So now, following an increase in crime, <gasps> shocker, Minneapolis has now had a change of heart about defunding or abolishing the police. In fact, the city's going to spend millions, millions of taxpayer dollars to beef up its law enforcement. It's become necessary. So nearly two weeks after the death of George Floyd, which happened in police custody, the Minneapolis City Council vowed to dismantle the city's police department. The city council proclaimed that the Minneapolis Police Department cannot be reformed and will never be accountable for its actions. Thus, they would begin the process of ending the Minneapolis Police Department. And that's what they started trying to do, slowly, bit by bit. Back in June, it was reported that seven MPD officers quit the force. Why did they do it? Well, they were citing various issues not the least of which was the fact that they had been relegated to performing tasks that were not of a police level they had been relegated to being a crossing guard 
being a babysitter. They've been relegated to having to respond to violent situations, but were demanded by their superiors not to use appropriate actions to to ensure the safety of the public or even themselves. These seven police officers I talked about, they essentially, they just cited a lack of support from city leaders. They were very diplomatic about it. I was telling you what was happening, what that lack of support looked like. Now, the trend of Minneapolis Police Department officers quitting or going on extended medical leave only got worse. Now, the MPD only has about 638 available officers. That's 200 fewer than they had previous to the events of the George Floyd death. This max exodus had a lot to do with the months and months of anti-police sentiment and the riots, which included the ransacking and burning down of the 3rd Precinct Police Station. With far fewer law enforcement officers, violent crime increased. Shocker! This included a whopping 537% increase in carjackings during the month of November. Citizens, of course, complained to city officials about the longer response times due to a huge reduction in the police reports. What a surprise, boys and girls. If you were one of the people that wanted them to defund the police, if you were one of the people that wanted them to boldly reimagine law enforcement, then this is what you were signing up for. It shouldn't be very difficult if you were to just take a second and think for a moment about how things are when there's already not enough police officers to respond as we would prefer. Now let's decimate that number. Let's let's take away, say, roughly about 200 officers. A city like Minneapolis, I, what, who would miss 200 officers, right? Except you did. So with the complaining going on, the city council finally came to realize, hey, there may actually only be one way to solve this problem. Uh, We need a police force. Oh, and you know what? We probably need a fully funded police force. We, We probably need a fully staffed police force. So this past Friday... The Minneapolis City Council voted unanimously to approve $6.4 million in additional funding that the police department had requested. The police funding will go towards hiring dozens of new police officers. That, of course, being quite the stark contrast to what the city council had declared over the summer. Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Frey, a Democrat, and Police Chief uh, Aradonadu. No disrespect intended. I just can't say your last name. Well, 
the police chief, and the mayor. They promised to make the MPD application process more progressive. The updated police application will now include questions about whether they have lived in Minneapolis, have degrees in criminology, social work, psychology, or counseling, and whether they volunteer or participate in programs such as the Police Activities League. Translation, they want to look like they're a little more woke. They still want to look like they've reimagined what policing would look like in their city, even if they have to backtrack and possibly eat a little crow. They're trying to avoid eating all of the crow. They say they're going to include these questions. They didn't say if these questions, uh, if one response over another is going to disqualify an applicant. Although I guarantee you, if you've got a, a degree in social work or psychology, they're going to put you in front of the cameras. If you got a degree in criminology, maybe. If you're just an honest citizen that's tired of the BS and you're physically capable of doing the job and you just want to help make your community better you're probably still going to get hired, too. Just don't expect to be in the limelight. Don't expect to be the poster child. But then again, if a police officer is becoming a police officer because they want to be a poster child, then they probably shouldn't be a police officer. Most of the really good officers I know, and I do know several, they don't look for the limelight. They don't want to be in front of the cameras. They hate having to be the person that might have to answer a question to a reporter. They'd much rather just do their job and then go home to their families at the end of the shift. But ooh, they want you involved. Deputy Police Chief Huffman said that the new application will help us to really feel confident that we're recruiting the kinds of candidates we want right from the beginning. Now, three city council members have proposed replacing the Minneapolis Police Department with a public safety department that would include law enforcement and other services. Yes, for Minneapolis it's collecting signatures. That's the name of the organization. Yes for Minneapolis. Is collecting signatures to get a similar proposal on the November ballot. The group proposes to abolish the police department and replace police officers with licensed peace officers. According to the Star Tribune, they're reporting that Yes for Minneapolis committee is being fueled by a half-million-dollar grant from the Washington, D.C.-based group Open Society Policy Center, which, of course, is associated with every conservative's favorite boogeyman, the spooky dude, George Soros. Uh, and uh, that's officially acknowledged by the Associated Press. So who knew? Minneapolis doesn't support their police. 200 or so officers find a reason not to go to work anymore. And suddenly, crime goes through the roof.
Wow. $6.4 million. Uh, $6.4 million increase. That That's... That's still having to eat some crow, and they're they're trying real hard not to admit it. Trying real hard not to admit it. I don't know, guys. I mean, it, it really sense. You know, that's not even the craziest story out there today. I, I wish it was the craziest story. It's not. So we're gonna go ahead. Take the mid-hour break at the, roughly the time we're supposed to for a change, which is uh, really nice. <laughs> and, uh, ah, well, maybe we will. I'm <laughs> trying to get everything where it's supposed to be. Um, so we're going to try to take this, and then we're going to transition to another really crazy story. Uh, it is just, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, every time I look around, I, I'm losing a little more faith in my fellow man because we keep allowing some of these weirdos to get positions of authority. They're not leaders. They're not thought-provoking individuals. They are blood-sucking leeches and ticks, and we need to replace them all. But in the meanwhile, let's take that mid-hour break. Uh, let's kick it off with another Edwards Notebook. Stay where you're at. I'll be back on the other side. Recently, Joe Biden said it is a non-starter to think that businesses can be open and moving and thriving without dealing with this pandemic. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, unfortunately, Joe Biden and his fellow comrades have no interest in a strong United States economy or supporting policies that work best for we the people as sovereign individuals or our nation overall. Completely shutting down small and medium-sized businesses in places like California, New York, and Michigan did not stop the spread of the Corona China virus one iota. In fact, shutdowns of small businesses while allowing massive businesses like Sam's Club and Costco's to stay open only made a bad situation much worse. The right thing to do would have been to allow businesses to stay open and for those people who are sick with the Corona China virus to simply stay home or go to hospital if they need to. That's the way it's always been when dealing with pandemics and flu seasons throughout U.S. and world history. Someone please tell Joe Biden that destroying the economy does not a scamdemic cure make. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Are you looking for a job because you got laid off because of the coronavirus? Most veterans think that the GI Bill can only be used for college, but that's not true. It can also be used for retraining programs. So if you're out of work and looking for a new career, go to the VA.gov and look at the GI Bill benefits. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. Let's talk about guns purely from a self-defense perspective. How many people are there in America? Well, if you said just over 300 million, you're correct. It's closer to 325 million. Now let me ask you this, how many acts of violence are there per year in America? Well, if you said just over one million, you're correct. 
It's approximately 1.2 to 1.3 million. So if there are just over 300 million people in America and just over 1 million acts of violence occurring in America every year, what are your chances of being the victim of one of those attacks? Well, if you said 1 in 300, you're correct. I don't know about you, but I don't like those odds. I know your odds might change depending on where you live, but if you live in an area with less crime, wouldn't that make someone else's odds go up? I mean, the number of people in America didn't change, and the number of violent attacks per year didn't change. Some of the highest crime rates in America are in Democrat-run cities where there are the strictest and most restrictive gun laws in the country, putting good people at risk because they can't defend themselves. The anti-gun left and anti-freedom groups like the Everytown Gun Grabbers continue to paint a dishonest picture of guns in America by telling you that guns cause violence. This is why they push the term gun violence. It's to help people who aren't paying attention believe that if we were to remove guns, the violence would magically go away. The truth is, not having a gun is more likely to make you a victim of violence. Two and a half million times per year in America, guns are used to save lives. This doesn't necessarily mean good guys killing bad guys. This most often means just the mere presence of a gun deters a bad guy. By the way, 46% of those defensive gun uses are by women. The more guns are restricted, the more people are put at risk. The people who try to scare you and convince you that guns are the problem ignore the fact that we're all potential for being a 1 in 300 statistic. The people who ignore this are the same people who will purchase a lottery ticket with a 1 in 20 million chance of winning. They ignore the facts when pushing their agenda, and they know the odds that they're creating are dangerous. Human violence in America is not an argument for more gun restrictions. It's an argument for more guns in the hands of good people. So regardless of how desperate the anti-gun left is to disarm Americans, we've found a simple and effective way to defend yourself from violent attacks, rapes, carjackings, or shootings. Shoot back. Anti-gun hypocrisy has run rampant because of a dishonest media and an anti-gun political party that's willing to sacrifice our great American values, put good people at risk, and destroy cities with unnecessary violence just so they can gain political power. It's time we understand their strategy so we can defeat them. Our founding fathers saw these tyrants coming over 200 years away. That's why the Second Amendment was written. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to LoadedMike.com. To check out my book series, go to GoodGunBadGuy.net. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. Uh, of course, I am your ever-so-humble host, Tim Tapp, and we are here trying to tap into the truth. Uh, that is 
my claim, at any rate, and that is generally what I'm trying to do. I'm going to try to pick up the pace because i got a lot of stuff I want to get to, and I have really just hammered on and yammered on about some of this stuff, and uh, there's some things from a few days back that I didn't get to that really needs to be discussed. Uh, we're going to be circling around quite a bit about gun control issues and about virtue signaling and race, uh, race-based politics. Uh, especially in states where Democrats have a firm grip on the handles, well, the levers of power, shall we say. Just just to move away from gun control for a minute. There's currently a bill in the Virginia legislature that proposes that college scholarships be given exclusively to those descended from slaves. Now, the Virginia House of Delegates passed a bill that would create scholarship programs exclusively for a subset of people. The bill's original form denoted that the funds be given to students of a specific race. But the language was softened just a bit in order to extend it to individuals or specific communities with a demonstrated historic connection to slavery. So the bill states that public universities uh, like Longwood University, uh, the University of Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University, uh, the Virginia Military Institute, and uh, the College of William and Mary uh, in Virginia, it states that colleges like this would be required to implement an annual practice of both identifying and uh, memorializing uh, to the extent possible all enslaved individuals who labored on former and current institutionally controlled grounds and property and providing a tangible benefit such as a college scholarship or community-based economic development program for individuals or specific communities with a demonstrated historic connection to slavery that will empower families to be lifted out of the cycle of poverty. It's pretty words, right? The Enslaved Ancestors College Access Scholarship and Memorial Program. That's a mouthful. Say that ten times fast. Well, the program has the stated purpose of, <clears throat> quote, reckoning with the history of the Commonwealth. Uh, it, yeah, it was a slave state. Now, just Sorry, I probably should have said spoiler alert. Uh, you know, it's been a long time since that's been the case, but if you weren't aware, that's what they're talking about. Reckoning with the history of the Commonwealth and addressing the long legacy of slavery in the Commonwealth. Furthermore, it acknowledges that the foundational success of these universities was based on the labor of enslaved individuals. Now, they're using all this flowery, pretty-sounding language to try to hide from the fact that they want to establish a racist program. Because, you know, that's, that's the left's current solution to racism, is 
more racism, just in the opposite direction. But, but that's literally how they think they're going to solve it. it. It's kind of funny. And then they, they lecture us on how private gun ownership is no solution to the violent crimes because you can't solve violence with more violent. Well, no, but you can end violence. And some violence is justified while other is not. Lesser of two evils if you think it's evil, but I will promise you, ladies and gentlemen, you're hard-pressed to find any reasonably thinking individual who would think that self-defense or defense of one's family or friends uh, against a criminal uh, trespass is far from an evil thing. Standing up in the face of evil to stand against evil is not evil. Now, of course, it's that very logic that folks like Antifa use to try to go out and uh, oppose fascism while employing fascism. They they don't see the hypocrisy. They don't see the the juxtaposition. Um, if you really are against fascism, you're not going to use tools of fascism to to try to to get to your goal, and because you're not achieving your goal, you're just trading one type of fascism for another and more often than not in the american uh, political left and the american version of antifa uh, antifa uh, you're not even really opposing fascism but you're still engaging in it so again your argument doesn't hold much water but hey so at any rate they use all this language and uh, basically what it comes down to is the fact that the bill would organize a council, okay? And the responsibility of this council is to facilitate collaboration with universities for the implementation of the program. These duties would include the development of guidelines for the identification of all enslaved individuals who labored on former and current institutionally controlled grounds and property. Now, that's a funny way of saying the state colleges that have been state property uh, where slaves worked when slavery was still permitted in the state, okay? Uh, let's, let's try to use some simpler language. They They have to use very specific language. But uh, to boil it down, it's just places where slaves worked when slavery was allowed, okay? Sadly, some of these places are still currently controlled by some of these universities. Now, so you've organized a council. The council is supposed to facilitate collaboration between the universities. The universities are supposed to be collaborating in an effort to implement the program. The council itself has no responsibility for implementing the program, just in facilitating collaboration for the implementation. It's starting to sound an awful lot like Congress, isn't it? Uh, we're going to create a law that says there has to be this area, uh, group of people that all they do is kind of facilitate uh, another group of people actually doing the work we want done. That's that simple enough for you? Does that work for you there, buddy? I'm just... Okay. <laughs> so, they also want this uh, collaboration to also help cover that uh, they want the means 
to memorialize these individuals. In other words, they want a statue or a plaque or something sufficiently woke, something sufficiently adequate for the the individuals that had worked on these properties. Okay, well, yeah, actually, I don't have a problem with that, really. I mean, if if, if that's who you want to honor and you think that that's worthy of doing so, uh, I wouldn't argue against any particular group uh, being denied that. And, you know, I'm all about utilizing statues and plaques and memorials as a way to to have a, a touchstone to our shared history. And if you decide that these are some of the people you want to memorialize, then okay, I'm all right with that. I mean, I I don't know necessarily that somebody is worthy of such a thing just by virtue of having been forced to labor there. Uh, some of them may very well be. Others may not. I, I don't know that you need to memorialize every individual because I would imagine some of these properties probably had a large contingent of slaves that were forced to labor on these properties. But memorializing them, I, I, I really see some issues here. It's these programs for those still experiencing the legacy of slavery to empower them to break the cycle of poverty. At best, and this is giving you guys the benefit of the doubt and probably more of a benefit than I should. At best, there is no concrete connection. Even in southern states, or at least most southern states, that the legacy of slavery is still currently holding people back. I mean, you can make every inclination you want to about systemic racism, but literally the system is opposed to racism. It is illegal to behave in a racist fashion. And if there are individuals that are manipulating the system in a racist fashion, it's not the system that's racist, it's those individuals. And it's very important to understand the difference between the two. I mean, is there some nuance there? Yes. Is there a distinction without a difference? No. Actually, in this case, arguing the semantics makes a lot of sense. Because when you argue the semantics, then you move into the area where it is more than simple semantics. You move into the area where you start to see there is a distinction. You keep wanting to tear down the whole system because you think the system is irredeemable. The system itself is flawed. But the system isn't. It's the people we keep putting in place to operate the system for us that are flawed. And that can be replaced far easier than building up a new system. I understand if a group wants to help underserved communities, underserved in whatever fashion it may be. And if a group wants to go about doing that as an act of charity, as an act of personal commitment to the betterment of their fellow man, which some people would still think of as charity, but again, it's not necessarily charity. 
then I'm all for that. But if you want to take the overwhelming power and authority of government and force people to be nicer to each other, that tends to cause resentment. And you know what else causes resentment? When you start suddenly want to help one group of people and not help all the groups of people. People who ordinarily would be on your side and say, yeah, the folks in that community could use some help. The folks in that community over there could use some help. But you know what? Folks over here in this community could use some of that same help, too. What? It, this community is predominantly white? Okay. That means we're not qualified? Because of white privilege. Okay, but... There's there's not a whole lot of privilege going over uh, going on over here in this community over here. I I don't understand. And if you stop and think about it, you're not going to understand. And now, if you're somebody that's going to benefit from something like this, maybe you're okay with it. Maybe you don't care. Maybe you've even bought into the idea that somehow, because some ancestor of yours may have been brought here illicitly may have been forced to labor for the benefit of some rich, white, most likely Democrat. Um, if you bought into the idea that somehow that entitles you to special treatment today, then you probably think that that's fair, that it's just. It's not. You have not personally suffered what your ancestors suffered. And that person over in that predominantly white community that now is going to get hosed because uh, they don't qualify for any kind of help because this is a very racist program, well, they never owned a slave. They probably don't come from a family that ever did. Now, that doesn't matter to you. What matters to you is you're getting some benefit. Okay, fine. If that's that's your mindset, uh, it's America. You're free to think and feel however you want. But understand that you should normally try to form your opinions and normally try to, to, to build your life on a solid foundation. And a solid foundation includes factual information, not just hyperbole and hype, not disinformation and misinformation truth the one thing that tears down borders between people boundaries between people walls between people is getting to know them personally are some folks over there in that community that you you don't care they're gonna are some of them racist maybe but you don't know and forget all that white fragility uh, bovine excrement you don't know until you get to know them. All the things that the struggle used to be about, now uh, they're not allowed. You're not allowed to go have conversations with somebody different than you. You're not allowed to hear them out, hear their point of view, <coughs> and maybe enlighten them on something they're wrong about. One of the great things about being a talk show host is when I have guests on, especially guests who do have a different background, a different religion, a different what have you, I get that opportunity to engage. And when I we're having an honest conversation, I enjoy hearing something that I was mistaken about. 
One of the best examples was uh, a Catholic reporter a few years back. I can't think of his name right off, and now I feel uh, embarrassed that I can't remember because it was a great uh, was a great conversation we had. And he corrected me about a couple of things, and then he was like apologizing. And you know, I had to tell him, no, no, please, because as an outsider, I don't know. This is my opportunity to get to know. The bill would organize this council. And the purpose of this council is to get the colleges working together to create some type of memorial and to create some type of empowerment programs in certain communities. Not all communities, but in certain communities. And we know they're talking about predominantly black communities in America. And the other specific case in Virginia. Now, the bill stipulates that these requirements should be in place for a period equal in length to the period during which the institution used enslaved individuals to support the institution, or until scholarships have been awarded to a number of recipients equal to 100% of the population of enslaved individuals identified. I want you to think about that for a second, because now they're literally saying that one life is as good as another. Somehow, having enslaved someone is worthy of helping that same number of people. We're either going to give away uh, that number of scholars. Well, what if, say, VMI, Virginia Military Institute, let's say they only had 10 slaves to ever work on the department. Now, I doubt that it's that low, but for the sake of the argument, they've fulfilled their quota at 10 scholarships. Does that really make up for treating a human being like farm equipment? I I, I think it's tragically less. You're devaluing the human being by creating this program at all. I mean, that's the argument coming from it from the left. Why are leftists okay with this idea being moved forward when it so horribly devalues these people who were enslaved? I'm sorry, 10 scholarships is not enough. 100 scholarships is not enough if you're really going to make reparations. And let's be clear, this is a backhanded effort to create reparations without using the word. They're using a lot of flowery language to dance around and dance around, but once again, their answer to racism is more racism just in the other direction. Martin Luther King Jr. would roll over in his grave. The University of Michigan professor and American Enterprise Institute scholar Mark Perry, who often fights back against what he says is discrimination, well, he was given an interview not too long ago to Campus Reform, and he said that uh, the scholarships would violate Title VI's prohibition of discrimination in higher education on the basis of race and color. 
So I want you to understand. University of Michigan professor. A scholar that's part of the American Enterprise Institute. He fights against actual, under legal definition, discrimination. He says that this is discrimination. He says clearly this is racism. So it's not me saying this. It's not my learned opinion. Uh, Take it for what it's worth. This is a scholar in the field who's been on the other side where I normally am. Since these universities receive public funds, this is, again, the good professor, he said that, quote, they are legally required to enforce Title VI's prohibition of discrimination based on race and color. They are legally required. The system is against racism. There is not systemic racism. There is a systemic effort to fight racism. The law requires no discrimination. And he says that by providing these scholarships, they are clearly discriminating on the basis of race and color. They are clearly saying, sorry, white boy, you can't get one of these scholarships. Now, according to Perry, this would clearly violate Title VI and would therefore jeopardize those universities' federal funding from the Department of Education. Uh, not that Operation P-Pads and E-Pads is going to stop federal funds from going to a university because all of a sudden they're offering up racism against white people. That's not going to happen. But the next time a Republican is in charge, they might. I mean, the House right now has a pretty narrow margin. Come midterm elections, the Republicans could take back the House. And based on the initial reactions of the first couple of days of Operation P-Pads and D-Pads, all those executive orders wiping out good-paying union jobs, uh, there's a really good chance some of these folks may just decide to put that little speed bump in their way. So as soon as the House is no longer in control of the Democrats, dollars at the federal level may suddenly find themselves drying up for places that aren't following the law, especially if they're trying to make it about race. Perry went on to say that uh, racially exclusive practices in general and restricting eligibility for a scholarship on the basis of race or color in particular would indeed violate Title VI and would be prohibited according to the Office for Civil Rights. Now, although Perry is not aware of the details of politics in Virginia, again, that's his quote, it is his opinion that this quote, Bill has no chance of passing because it would require universities in Virginia to violate federal civil rights law, Title VI. However, in the event that the bill does pass, Perry said that he would, quote, be ready to immediately 
file a Title VI complaint with the Office of Civil Rights and would expect that complaint to be investigated and resolved by the OCR prohibiting universities in Virginia from discriminating on the basis of race and color. Now, he keeps saying that quite a bit. Here's the problem. You're talking about a federal government that currently is operated by race-baiting, race-based politicians. Don't expect it to change. Meanwhile, it's time to uh, reset the hour, so please, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Uh, If you're here live or you're listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. The rest of you guys, I'll see you tomorrow. is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people trying to cross the border and Politicians build a new world order Many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got a big free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn you went. Taking your right to self-defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn in the guns. Always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn new wet. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic Roan County, Tennessee. Uh, this is the third hour of the live broadcast, so hour number three if you are hearing this on rebroadcast uh, on terrestrial radio stations uh, it would be good for you to know that 
the time of the live broadcast was February 15th, 2021. It is a Monday evening. And uh, part of the reason why I'm doing the record instead of the usual is I was unable to get connected to BTR. I tried multiple times and it just wouldn't let me on. I do suspect that given some wonky weather that's ongoing, maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, but regardless, uh, I don't know for sure if you're going to get to hear this uh, rebroadcasted. So uh, if it didn't get rebroadcasted, but you're listening to the podcast version of the show, then hey, congratulations. This is bonus material. And that's the kind of thing that you get when you listen to the podcast. Yay, bonus material. Okay, so if you've been here listening to the podcast the whole time, you realize that for the past couple of hours, I have spent probably too much time uh, talking about uh, some democratic efforts at gun control. And they're serious. Don't, don't get me started. They are serious. They're coming for the guns. You had best be prepared to fight uh, legislatively to stop this. You'd best get your representatives uh, up to speed and ready to push back because they want to make it completely unattainable for you to own firearms. But now we've also started looking at some other things with some education. We've got the University of Virginia looking to uh, create a scholarship program and a community uh, in empowerment program and a memorial program on the state universities where once slaves had been forced to labor. And they want to do this clearly as a form of reparations, but they're really careful not to use the word reparations. So if you missed either of those two hours, if you are hearing this via rebroadcast, maybe uh, maybe they ran out of material or maybe they just played these in order after all, uh, if that's the case, it's been a few days. So, again, reminder, it was Monday, the time of the live broadcast. Monday of this week. I'm, well, I'm assuming it was this week. Hopefully, they're not going too far back in the archives and playing some of this stuff. But some of it stands up pretty well. At any rate, that's not the only insanity going on in the school system. So, I'm going to try to sneak in a few more things in this hour. I'll remind you, uh, also, uh, link in the show description to my most recent byline over at the uh, Reactionary Times. Thank you, Julio, uh, for publishing. And uh, please follow the link and uh, read it. We're trying to trying to generate some interest in my writing again, as I took the time to, to do a little. Uh, involves some research in the whole nine. But let us continue. As we talked about Minneapolis having to spend money to get new officers. Although, again, they're not willing to admit that they were wrong. They're not willing to just stand up and say, uh, we apologize for trying to destroy our police departments. No, they're, they're looking to hire more police officers, but they're trying really hard by adding new questions to the application, uh, trying to be woke. So again, if you missed either of the first two hours, please go find the podcast and check it out. I, I would greatly appreciate it, especially if you were to go to uh, one of the Spreaker platforms uh, in particular, because then there will also be ads, and I can make a, a few cents if you just listen to the ads, and, and I would appreciate it, because it, it adds up. 
so thank you. All right. Uh, the insanity continues, though, and now I'm going to try to push uh, really hard to get some of these other topics in in this hour because I'm not going to do a fourth hour tonight. I'm just not going to do it. I could, but I'm not. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's jump in with the next topic because I come across this and the uh, reparations effort through scholarships. So to be a violation of Title VI federal law uh, is one thing. But to claim that mathematics in and of itself is racist, well, that's a whole different level of wokeness. So, of course, something like that has to come from our friends out on the left coast. And in this case, we're talking about the fine folks in Oregon. It uh, seems that they're trying to promote a new program focused on dismantling racism in mathematics. Why? Why do they think that there's racism in mathematics, you may ask? Now, remember, mathematics is a universal language. Mathematics is how we will be able to communicate with aliens whenever, and I, and I don't mean the illegal migrants either. I mean from other worlds, woo, when they... Well, they arrive here if they haven't been watching uh, I Love Lucy reruns before deciding to come visit. Um, chances are mathematics will be our building blocks for communication. Because mathematics are pretty straightforward. There is a right answer. Approximated math, not a good idea. I do not want to drive across a bridge uh, <laughs> that was built by an engineer that graduated using only approximated math. And neither do you. But according to these folks in Oregon, finding the right answer, a correct objective truth, well, it's a sign of supremacy. How did I not know that? Okay, so the Oregon Department of Education is promoting a program for teachers that seeks to dismantle racism in mathematics, uh, alleging that focusing on finding the right answer is a symbol of white supremacy. Uh, the local Fox affiliate reported that the ODE sent out a newsletter last week that mentions a, quote, pathway to math equality micro course. Oh, no, not equality. Not equality. They didn't say equality. They said equity. We talked about this, haven't we? There's a difference. They, they want you to see equity and they want you to think equality. All right. So anyway, you talk about the pathway. And basically in this newsletter... It says that this course will occur on February 21st. And the course, again, according to the Fox affiliate, is designed for middle school teachers to make use of a toolkit for dismantling racism in mathematics. So they really like playing that up. See, the racism in mathematics is so deeply ingrained that we just, as white supremacists, we can't see it ourselves. Uh, it's math fragility is what it is. You know, critical, <laughs> critical race quadratic equations. I, I, I don't know. I don't understand. Sue me. So the newsletter encourages teachers to sign up for the training, uh, 
which the New York Post previously reported, includes a section with 14 things associated with white supremacy culture, including perfectionism, objectivity, and individualism. These, these are values of white supremacy. I will tell you this. Something that I tell uh, employees at the old day job. Perfection is not expected, but excellence is. We know as a human being, uh, even the best among us are occasionally going to have a flub. And that's best case scenario. Some people are more prone than others, and hopefully it's always something that you can mitigate and minimize. Perfection is not expected. But excellence is required. Take pride in your work. Do the best thing you can do. And I'm told that this is white supremacy culture. Objectivity. Being able to look at a situation and remove myself from the emotional side of it and just look at the facts. That's white supremacy culture. And how dare I say that you, sir, should be prepared to stand on the merit of your own worth. The merit of your own work. That's white supremacy culture, according to these fine folks in Oregon. So, objectivity is described in this workbook, accompanying the training as the belief that there is such a thing as being objective or neutral. The program's toolkit also encourages teachers not to focus on a single correct answer, but to come up with at least two answers that might solve the problem, or to challenge standardized test questions by getting the right answer but justify other answers by unpacking the assumptions that are made on <laughs> that are made in the problem. Uh, translation uh, for the purposes of the standardized test, teach them what the right answer actually is, but then argue and debate and twist and manipulate and uh, twist them around to the point that uh, their brain becomes mush, so that they can believe that any answer can be the right answer. You know, if somebody was to ask you, for example, how many genders are there? Most people would say two. But then you would be canceled. Because clearly the answer is infinity and beyond. <laughs> and they're prepared to argue that point. Because objectively, science says that there are two general gender but subjectively these individuals want to argue that gender is a societal construct and therefore is fluid now gender roles in society are a societal construct actual gender is not a construct it's a biological fact i, I know it's semantics right Another distinction without a difference, right? Except no. 
But this is how they want to teach it. Objectivity is the belief that there's such a thing as being objective or neutral. Yeah, because nobody's capable of that, right? It's just not possible. Good grief. And these are the people in charge of educating our children who let these inmates take charge of the asylum. Who? Wasn't me. I said don't do it, y'all. <laughs> Challenge. Anyway, the toolkit also asked instructors to center ethno-mathematics in multiple ways, one of which is to identify and challenge the ways that math is used to uphold capitalist, imperialist, and racist views. Uh, what? <laughs> I, 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 again, What? Let me say it again, because maybe it'll make more sense if I read it again. I, I don't know. The toolkit also asked instructors to center ethnomathematics in multiple ways. One of which is to identify and challenge the ways that math is used to uphold capitalist, imperialist, and racist views. So, uh, again, uh, math. Uh, how, is, how is math upholding these views? I feel like the theme to Jeopardy should be playing in the background. Final Jeopardy! What is You've Lost Your Ever-Loving Mind, Alex? Because that is the answer to this question. But yes, now mathematics, actual mathematics, can be used to demonstrate how capitalism, free market economies, not capitalism per se, but what they use the word capitalism to describe a free market economy, uh, mathematics can be used to show how a free market economy can thrive and how it can lead to the betterment of all members of a society. So math will support capitalism, what they call capitalism. It will, because the math supports the idea that free markets work and uh, crony capitalism, not so much. Socialism, not at all. Uh, communism, uh, you're not allowed to ask the question. So, uh, yeah, I, math will hold up capitalism. Uh, imperialism? Mm, well, if you're doing well ec economically, I suppose that would allow you to be more imperialistic, if that is your inclination. It's not necessarily an offshoot from it, but uh, no, no, this is a case where you're going to move out of the realm of fact, uh, out of the realm of objectivity, and you're going to move into the realm of subjectivity, and you're going to completely reframe something that isn't truthfully there. You're going to take the facts and you're going to form a whole new narrative and you're going to present that narrative as if that is also true and now it is your truth and in their world your truth means more than the truth which is why if somebody comes along to try and bust their little bubble <gasps> that's white supremacy culture we got to change the math <laughs> i'm sure that's a racist view by the way so so don't quote me 
Don't embrace my wild man antics here, because I'm sure, at least according to them, that's a racist view. And mathematics is helping to support me. So uh, that's, that's on math. Bad math. Anyway, the Oregon Department of Education Communications Director, Mr. Mark Siegel, confirmed to Fox News that the educational program was being advertised and defended it, claiming the training, quote, helps educators learn key tools for engagement, develop strategies to improve equitable outcomes for black, Latinx, and multilingual students, and join communities of practice yeah okay so how exactly does it do that because i mean if the whole idea is to say math is racist how are you helping to create equitable outcomes for anyone embracing math embracing free markets embracing uh, an idea of simply not being racist as opposed to what they are currently calling anti-racism, which is anything but, by the way. But, you know, they, they like to play with the language. Uh, how does that help improve outcomes? They need a better education, not less of one. They need a real education, not some made-up BS. They need to follow a career path, not get a degree in women's studies. I mean, if you want to get a degree in women's studies on the side, fine. Uh, but what is your job going to be if that's your primary degree? Because first of all, there's already way too many women's studies uh, professors out there. So I'm sorry, not a lot of room. Going to write a book? Okay, you can write a book. You can self-publish. You maybe got a shot standing out in the crowd. I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to discourage you, but I am telling you, you want to have a good career, maybe women's studies should be a minor, and you should major in something else, nearly anything else, uh, that has merit to society as a whole. And just because some leftist whiner professor is trying to convince you that being a snowflake is the thing for you to do tells you that there's a career in it, it doesn't necessarily mean there is. I mean, seriously, take a look around at the things in your life that have value, that have worth, that you would be willing to pay money to have. Now, how do you cash in on any of that? <gasps> cash in on? You want me to be a capitalist too? Yeah, if you want a life worth having, there's a reason. Why so many people from around the world are still trying to make their way here. And it's not the Danishes. It's not the Donuts. It's not all the shut-down restaurants in California. And it's not all the restaurants that were in New York that have moved to Florida. No, it's, it's nothing like that. It's the, the allure of freedom, the allure of liberty, the allure of economic freedom that comes from open markets, what you want to call capitalism. You want to improve their outcomes? Teach them things that are real. Teach them objective truths. Stop trying to teach them that objective truth is white supremacy culture because it's not. I mean, this, quite frankly, is just the latest in a string of <clears throat> what they call anti-racism. 
This is the latest part of anti-racism to show up in the teachings that insist that the core of education is based on white supremacy. It is not. San Francisco has been intently focused on race in recent weeks instead of the growing number of student suicides and mental health crisis caused by the continuous closures of schools they'd much rather take abraham lincoln's name off of a building this isn't much different than that the entire state of oregon now is saying well you know math is racist now Well, how about this for some simple math? And you can consider it to be as racist as you want, but one really dumb policy from the state education department equals all students underserved. And the worst part is you're doing a disservice not just to those kids, but to yourself, too. Because at some point, you're not going to be in charge of whatever you're in charge of right now anymore. And someday, one of these kids that you didn't help get a proper education is going to find their ways to having their hands on one of the levers of power. And what do you think they're going to do with it? If they're not capable of critical thinking, if they're not prepared to at least hear out an alternative viewpoint... How can they be expected to engage in problem solving? Now, maybe you're expecting by the time that you're old enough for that to matter, it's not really going to matter to you anymore because you're going to retire off to some private island or what have you. Maybe you will because clearly you guys are bilking the government for whatever money you're getting. Uh, You certainly aren't earning it. You may be putting in a lot of hours, but you're not earning the money because you're not doing the job as the job description calls. I mean, you can sit there and rephrase the language all you want to. You're not changing anything. Uh, but I but do it. Shut up. You're leading people astray, and you're creating a generation of students that aren't going to be able to add 2 plus 2 by the time you're done with them. Well, you know, it, it could be 12 if this happened and then that happened. No. No. Because now that's not 2 plus 2 anymore. That was 2 plus 2. And then you times that by three. That's not the same equation I asked you to solve. But if that was to happen, then the answer... But that's not what I asked you for the love of Pete. So while students suffer, the school district seems more concerned with tackling race perceptions, focusing on renaming schools based on historically incorrect information while debating the racial makeup of an all-female volunteer council. These are things that were happening and going on in San Francisco. We've talked about this. San Francisco School Board spent two hours debating whether a gay father of a mixed-race child was diverse enough to sit on a parent advisory council that was currently made up of only women and had additional open seats. The school board has also spent time renaming numerous public schools based on a historically inaccurate Google document and claiming acronyms 
are a symptom of white supremacy culture while replacing one acronym with another. So, again, you know, we talked about all that a few weeks back. Nothing's changed. The insanity continues. And yes, it is insanity. I don't know what else to do but call a spade a spade. This is insanity. And the insanity must end. It must stop. We can't allow it to continue. These are our children that are suffering. And at some point, these children are going to have to be taught something true, something real. And at some point, if we don't, we're all going to pay a price. Oh, but math is racist. All right, let's take the mid-hour break before I end up running long. I got another topic to try and sneak in before I'm done, and I was hoping to get in more than that, but, Dad Kevin, I'm just ranting too much today. You got to stay where you're at. I'll be back on the other side. Despite the threat against our way of life, be the biased leftist media, the government school system, lying preachers, etc., a new day of greatness shall soon dawn here in America. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, the leftists have been trying to destroy our beloved republic ever since the founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence. They understood that we, the people, were destined by God Almighty to be free and to enjoy the benefits of liberty. For God gave us brains to make decisions and get things done without the egotistical control freaks trying to control us from cradle to grave. I foresee an outbreak of true morality throughout the land as more and more of our fellow countrymen and women realize that in order to be truly free, we must be influenced by and put into practice the high moral standards which long ago came from God Almighty. Just know that America's enemies around the world and domestically strutting their stuff will soon collapse in utter defeat and big-time disappointment as America will truly be great again. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Welcome, I'm Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Many veterans have been in the hospitals throughout the pandemic without the ability to see family or loved ones. As a result, depression is on the rise. Here's your veterans tip of the day. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us and click on the donate button to contribute an MP3 system to a veteran. You can help fight depression. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. This has been your veterans tip of the day. We often find ourselves arguing statistics with anti-gun people, but let's put the conversation into perspective. I'll give you some stats, but also expose the anti-gun left's real motives for gun control. First of all, don't you think that anyone who really wants to save lives would focus their attention on an area where the most lives are lost? The gun grabbers like to use the number of 30 to 40,000 gun-related deaths per year. But if we take out suicides, which are 60% of those gun-related deaths, which, by the way, are not reduced by the absence of guns, and we take out law enforcement-related deaths, in other words, good guys killing bad guys, we're left with about 14,880 gun-related homicides. But here's where it gets interesting. 
the majority of those gun-related homicides are gang-related. So let's say we didn't have the gang problem we have in this country. The number of gun-related homicides shrinks to 2,976 per year in America. Now here's another interesting fact that the anti-gun left doesn't want you to know. The majority of gang-related violence occurs in Democrat-run cities across this country that are highly gun-restricted, by the way, and often allow violent illegals safe harbor. What that means is good people living within those cities are denied their right to protect themselves against the human violence that Democrats encourage with their bad policies. Now let's compare that to some other things that the anti-gun left could be working on if they really wanted to save lives. Drunk driving takes almost 11,000 lives per year in America. 47,000 lives are lost per year in America due to suicide. Bipolar disorder and schizophrenia being two of the leading causes of suicide, not guns. But one of the biggest causes of preventable deaths in America is abortion. Almost 330,000 lives are taken per year in America by people committing abortion. Now let me give you a piece of information that the anti-self-defense crowd doesn't want you to know. How many lives do you think are saved every year because of guns? The answer is two and a half million. Every year in America, two and a half million lives are potentially saved by the use of firearms. Now this doesn't necessarily mean good guys killing bad guys. This most often means just the mere presence of a gun deters a bad guy. And 46% of those lives saved are women. This is a study that was done by Gary Kleck, a Florida criminologist, and backed by data from the CDC. So why do you think the gun grabbers never share this information? Well, some would argue that they don't really care about saving lives as much as they care about disarming their fellow citizens and preventing them from independently protecting themselves and their families. Gun control is a top-down method that puts government in charge of the lives and safety of people under the guise of public safety. It's the first step in stealing the freedom our founders fought for. The anti-left has already decided that they are willing to give up their freedom to government. The problem is they can't have their government-controlled utopian society unless you get on board. And real Americans are clearly not getting on board. Gun control is a way of forcing you into dependence, whether you like it or not. Now, we're never going to cure the evil in the hearts of killers, but we can stop them. So, to the gun grabbers, do you really want to save lives? Then get to work on the real causes of human violence and help us restore our gun rights so good people can protect themselves. Help us save lives rather than ending them before they get a chance to take their first breath. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to loadedmike.com. To check out my book series, go to goodgunbadguy.net. Ladies and gentlemen, I am back. Thank you so very much for staying with me through that uh, bit of a break. Uh, obviously, it is 
time to continue to tap into the truth and that's exactly what we're going to do as we move on so here's the question how do you decide which stories you need to run with especially when you start running out of time well you try to look at what's more important and what's really necessary and then you also kind of take a look at what can you swing back around to so basically there's a story that i really wanted to talk about tonight but i went a little long back in hour number one talking about the efforts and the plans of the democrats to come after our guns Uh, the bill is in play uh Sheila Jackson Lee has introduced the bill to the House, and of course, barely there, Beijing Biden has come out over the weekend, and uh, utilizing the anniversary of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting, uh, decided to call on Congress to do all kinds of crazy gun control stuff. The progressive wish list, or the so-called progressive wish list, continues to have little boxes uh, out beside them, and uh, barely there, Biden is getting to have the fun of uh, putting little check marks by them. Uh, we've got to be mindful. So there was a story I really wanted to talk about that actually involved uh, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. As you'll recall, February 14th, 2018, a gunman walked into the high school in southeast Florida and mercilessly took the lives of 17 people. The massacre topped the headlines of every news outlet for weeks as students took to social media to advocate for increased gun control laws. Uh, Thank you, David Hogg. In the aftermath, parents demanded answers, and the school board had none. School board member Nora Rupert admitted in a deposition that internal corruption led to safety failures that contributed to the death of students and teachers. When she tried to speak up about these failures, she claimed that she was met with an intimidation campaign from other board members and the district superintendent, Robert Runcy. The superintendent, of course, is a graduate of both Harvard University and Northwestern University Business School. He started his career in education in 2003 when his college buddy, Arnie Duncan, uh, who President Barack Obama would eventually tap to run the Department of Education in 2009, hired him to run the Chicago Public School District's IT office. Now, I can keep going down this path because the point I want to make is the corruption and the intimidation. But there's another story that I've got to get to as well. So I'm thinking this corruption story will hold up at least long enough that I can circle back around to it. So I want you guys to hold me accountable or at least do the research on it. It's important. In the meanwhile something else is way more important for the overall safety of the country as a whole. Freshman Representative Sarah Jacobs of California. She told CNN over this past weekend that a truth commission was needed in the U.S. so that there could be a common narrative moving forward and suggested that lawmakers needed to probe right-wing media to see 
what role that it had in the January 6th riot in Washington, D.C. They want to probe Fox News, Newsmax, Blaze TV, The Daily Wire, Tap into the Truth, Southern Sense, The Don Smith Show, Simple Facts of Life. They want to probe all these to see what role we played. Because they're still trying to hang the actions of a few around the necks of everyone that might voice opposition to them. But this lady, this freshman, this newcomer to the scene is talking about truth commissions and how it's important to have a shared narrative. Now, it's way more important to have a shared history than a shared narrative. And if we've got to have the same narrative moving forward, what what makes you think it should be your narrative? Shouldn't we be more concerned about what actually happened than presenting a narrative? Wouldn't that be the actual reason for having a truth commission? Uh, but then again, historically speaking, uh, truth commissions have generally been anything but. Quoting here, Brian Steltzer, uh, one of CNN's brightest, asked the question uh, of the freshman representative, quote, you also said in an interview with the 19th News website this week that the country needs a truth commission. What exactly would a truth commission be? See, this is an opportunity to, to play like, I'm concerned, but you will assuage my concerns. Go ahead. So Jacobs responded, quote, so I think part of what we're seeing now is because we haven't really done the reckoning with the racial injustice and white supremacy of our past that we need to do. And so, you know, a truth commission, uh, a lot of people will think of South Africa. We've used them in countries around the world. And basically what it is, is it's, communities all the way up to the national level having conversations about both the gory and the glory of our history and what happened both throughout the history of our country and leading up to and on January 6th so that we can come to a common narrative moving forward of what we want our country to be. Now that's a lot to unpack, isn't it? I mean, she specifically mentioned South Africa. Not a really good example of a truth commission uh, if you want to pretend like it's something that's going to help get to a place of unity. And a really good example of what a truth commission historically tends to be. Uh, it's a way of rewriting the country's narrative as opposed to the country's history, so that there's no real mention of certain events or individuals who may have may have played an important role and may lead you to possibly think something differently than what they want you to think. So we can have a common narrative moving forward. At any rate, when asked if she thought that leadership in the House and the Senate had, quote, the stomach 
for such a move. Jacobs, re- Jacobs responded by saying that she believes that they do. Clearly, she's talking about Nancy, Mimi, Pelosi, and uh, our good friend Chucky Schumer. Quoting the freshman representative once again, Look, we all were victims of this attack in addition to being the lawmakers of this country. And I know for a lot of this, this is very personal. We've had threats to our lives, threats to our homes and our families. So I think there are a lot of us who know that this impeachment trial was just the start of holding Donald Trump accountable, but that we need to make sure that we're doing a accountability of everyone who incited, encouraged, or committed acts of violence, and then really looking forward at kinds of things like truth commissions, like democracy, like institution buildings that we know are going to be the real fixes to what we have seen in this country. Isn't that just a big old pile of poop? Sheesh. Truth commissions is going to fix something? Yeah, it's going to fix having to listen to somebody like me, I guess, because I'm going to get truth commissioned out of existence. Democracy? I don't think you'd like how democracy would work for you, ma'am. Because here's what democracy boils down to, and I can already hear Chief being upset that I'm using the metaphor once again, but here we go anyway. Two wolves and a sheep getting together to decide what's for dinner. Guess who's on the menu? Your truth commission isn't going to help you then. Institution building? The institutions of this country are being teared down, torn down by the leftist of this country. The The people generally that's a part of your party, ma'am, are destroying the institutions and turning them into something completely different than the role they're supposed to play. So now you want to build them up? Only what are you building? Are you building the institutions back the way they're supposed to be? Do you even know what they're supposed to be? I mean, I realize at this point, when you mentioned the word constitution in front of Nancy Pelosi, she wants to lap you out of the room. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? No, no, constitution. I mean, you get one or two reactions either she busts out laughing uncontrollably, hysterically, like the freaking Joker on Smilex gas, or she's repelled hissing like uh, one of the many Legion uh, in uh, the Exorcist movie. I, it's one or the other. More often the latter, I think. But uh, sometimes the first, I, I think it's a brave front. The real fixes to what we've seen in this country is to stop engaging in exercises that are a complete and total waste of time. You know, like the second impeachment of Donald John Trump. I haven't talked about it very much here. We've mentioned it in passing. We've blown by it because it's not even an impeachment. It was never even an impeachment, not a trial. Not, not once it left the House. 
I mean, it wouldn't matter what they did. They didn't have the Chief Justice of the United States setting as uh, the presiding judge. So, constitutionally speaking, what they did in the Senate never came close to meeting the requirements. So they could have sat there and they could have voted a conviction. And it wouldn't have mattered. It didn't change anything. Because it wasn't real. It was all just a show trial. And these people are still trying to use the events of the riot at the Capitol as a way to silence us all. And to try to get people that are like-minded on the left to go along with truth commissions. To get along with, we have to throw away the naive idea that this country was founded in 1776 on the ideas of truth and justice and liberty for all. That uh, we can't possibly have that as the cornerstone, as the foundations, as the fundamental founding principles. No, because this nation was truly founded in 1619. Uh, Really? This nation was little more than an English colony then, continuing to engage in the practices of the English Empire. We were part of Britain. We weren't individuals, and no, we were not founded as individuals in 1819. And the colonies were already well underway at that point. So, you know, historically speaking, you still don't have a right date. Oh, well, you see, it's not about truth. It's about propaganda. It's about controlling the narrative. She says it here in this statement. The freshman representative talks about how we've got to control. The Truth Commission is about controlling the narrative moving forward. It's not about getting to the truth. I mean, I don't know if she realizes it or not, but she actually freely admits what the real purpose is. That's how we fix the country. How are we fixing the country again? Oh yeah, by doing what you want to do. By doing what you think needs to be done. By being a victim of your ideology. That's what's required. That's what we've got to do to fix things. There's not a choice. There's not another effort. There's nothing else happening. Just just accept it. It'll be a lot easier if you do. You know, if we had that mindset, we would have never left we would have never left the British Crown. Although we'd probably be speaking German today. Those of us who were still around. And and by the way, a lot of you guys that are constantly whining about how bad America is, a lot of you wouldn't still be around. If the good guys had actually lost World War II, <laughs> not that I expect you to know or understand the actual factual truth about what occurred and what was going on. I mean, we are currently in a culture that thinks what happens on Twitter has meaning and purpose, and that somebody sharing a meme on Instagram means they should lose their job. There's someone that points out that getting people to hate their neighbors and to take action themselves on the street directed at a particular targeted group is not different in philosophy than just hating someone for their political ideology. Well, that's a good reason to, to fire them. Uh, you know, let's, let's, we, we can't have that in 
society. Even though uh, if you were targeting uh, the orange man that was bad with the exact same kind of mentality, uh, then that would be okay. Because, you know, the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, he's, it's fair game. You can attack him any way you want at any time. It doesn't matter. And anybody that supported him, anybody that showed him the least bit of support, well, they're just as dangerous. Now, Andrew Cuomo right now should be getting sized up for an orange jumpsuit. Now that we know, now that the admission has been made that they obstructed justice, that they made an effort to hide numbers because they were afraid of a criminal investigation from the Department of Justice. That's, that's why they hid the numbers, or at least that's what they said. I'm sorry. Generally speaking, in a court of law, the orange man was bad defense probably isn't going to hold up when it comes to explaining why you withheld actual information that's legally bounded to be turned over to certain members of your state legislature. Probably not going to hold up. Just saying. Sorry, Andrew. Possibly the worst governor in the country about to face some consequences. We'll see. More likely to face Retribution from other angry members of New York. I should say residents as opposed to members. But I was thinking in terms of members of the Democratic Party in New York. They seem kind of miffed at him too right now. So I guess it still works. But yeah, technically, it's really the residents who are probably going to end up having their final say. And that final say should be vote him out of office and expect law enforcement to move forward with that criminal conviction. <laughs> About time somebody was held accountable. Oh, well, you know, I I made the dumbest decisions possible. I put the most at-risk population in harm's way specifically, and then acted like I was the smartest governor ever, I wrote a book, I won an Emmy, and all because I'm actually a jack wagon, but you didn't want to call me out because you were afraid calling me out would look good for the orange man that is bad. Isn't that some shiznit right there? <sighs> yeah, it would be different. Albeit not by much, but it would be different if this young, idealistic, uh, freshman representative, our good friend, Miss Sarah Jacobs, it would be different if she was the first high-profile Democrat to talk about truth commissions or talk about common narratives and talk about investigating uh, conservative media. It'd be different if she was the only one. But so far, she's just another voice joining a choir of other better-known, loud, large social media presence, Democratic office holders who want nothing more but to re-educate those of us who occasionally think that liberty should still matter in this country. That the expression of free speech should be granted in this country. Yes, yes, a dangerous idea there.
going to ask all of you, please join me in no longer referring to these people as liberals. They are not. A liberal would stand up and fight for freedom of speech. They would not tolerate for a second the idea of silencing somebody just because they disagreed with them. If you're on board with silencing, with canceling, then you're not a liberal. You don't deserve that name. A liberal is way more honorable than your so-called progressive ideology. And I, I keep saying so-called progressive because you're not progressive. You're regressive and you're destructive. You want to tear down instead of build up. And the worst part is, is some of you guys that have bought into that crap think you really are being progressive. Think you really are building something up. Please, please take a little time to, to look at what you're doing. To think about what the possible ramifications could be. Stop being the victim of unforeseen circumstances unexpected consequences because I guarantee you whoever is bringing this stuff in front of you it's not an unexpected consequence to them it's part of the plan and you for them you're being a useful idiot stop don't be an idiot and stop being opposed to freedom and liberty that's going to have to be it for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so very much for making it to the end, especially if you're listening to the podcast. Three hours tonight, I appreciate you being here. And remember, whatever else you take from tonight's broadcast, please, please do not take my word for not one little bit of it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and more importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the church in the meanwhile stay safe out there stay healthy if you can and uh be smart even if it goes against your nature i'm out for now i'll be back wednesday good night everybody
is using both hands. Using both hands. <laughs> 